0: Multitudes of sincere and trusting believers are caught in the virtually invisible web of religious captivation in charismatic and other neo-Pentecostal churches and don't know it. They are unaware victims of spiritual abuse and exploitation perpetrated under the heavy hand of hyper-authoritarianism, that is to say, the leadership of the church group of which they are a part is dominating, controlling, and manipulating their followers, thereby exploiting them for personal gain and private kingdom building. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. Horror stories of authoritarian abuse and exploitation and psychological enslavement in bona fide Christian churches abound. From time to time, particular isolated incidents have erupted in highly publicized news stories. However, those high-profile cases are really only the tip of the iceberg. The truth of the matter is, as several decades of my counseling ministry to hundreds of victims bears out, ecclesiastical enslavement and exploitation is widespread in certain sectors of Christendom in this nation. And it is vital to understand I am not talking about radical, fringe, religious sects and cults, but well-respected church groups espousing otherwise orthodox Christian beliefs whose membership is comprised of a cross-section of average Americans, individuals, and families of every race, education level, station, and walk of life. Though religious predomination is certainly nothing new, and hyper-authoritarianism is by no means limited to the neo-Pentecostal branch of the Church, It has, however, especially flourished in the charismatic and so-called second and third wave, that is, neo-Pentecostal groups, since it was infused into the very fabric, foundation, and functions of that branch of the church in the early to mid-70s. Moreover, it is the charismatic branch of which this ministry has been a part since its inception, which gives me not only the right— but also the duty to bring reproof of error and errancy in that realm. The Common Control Mechanisms We turn our attention now to the common control mechanisms employed within these hyper-authoritarian groups. Remember as you study them that as previously mentioned, the premise of absolute submission which is the bedrock of such authoritarian doctrines, coupled with the enslaving organizational and authority structure, are the primary components that make these techniques and mechanisms effectual and effective. Number 5. Internalization One consistent hallmark of these groups is extremism regarding personal involvement and participation of every member. Getting every person deeply involved in some function or duty or role of participation is a virtual obsession with these groups. Programs and departments are created for the primary purpose of keeping every member of every family engrossed in some type of in-house involvement, which they refer to as quote-unquote ministries from music to recreation to special study programs to an infinite number of other specialty ministries. The premise is, of course, that the more involved a person is and the more important he or she feels, the greater and more intent will be his or her personal commitment and contribution to the overall operations and machinery of the organization. And, indeed, usually, the plan works precisely as designed, producing the intended results. The primary reason for that is that they exploit three very basic human desires, the need to feel accepted and part of something, the need to feel important and needed, and the need to function and be fruitful, that is, accomplish something meaningful if not sanctified through the cross of Christ and fulfilled through the life of Christ, these desires are nothing more than selfish ambition, which is a primary inroad for satanic exploitation. Someone may well say, but every church tries to get its members involved. Is that always wrong? The answer is that every believer has a God-given spiritual function both in the church and in the world. But these are real and spiritually effectual functions, bearing true spiritual fruit that remains. John fifteen sixteen, not silly, superficial, artificial, and spiritually inconsequential internal ecclesiastical dabbling, producing virtually no true spiritual fruit, but serving only to stroke the participants' already overinflated ego and superfluous sense of self-importance. Number 6. Economic Exploitation and Enslavement It is an incontrovertible fact that the Bible is replete with passages and promises concerning abundant financial blessing coming unto those who are faithful in their tithing and giving, and in the administration of unrighteous mammon, that is money. Indeed, everyone who has perseveringly and faithfully complied with the requisites and conditions of those promises can attest to their validity and absolute trustworthiness. It is a certainty that God desires to bless His people financially, and He has established the spiritual law of sowing and reaping, Genesis 8:22 and Galatians 6, 7 or giving and receiving as the primary means through which to accomplish that blessing. The long and the short of the ordinance is that when a believer sows financially, he will in due season reap a multiplied financial harvest commensurate with the amount of seed sown. Thus every believer should be a consistent and persistent sower. So in no way am I denigrating the very valid truths in the Word of God regarding giving our tithes and offerings with this point about this manipulation mechanism. However, in both classical cults, as well as groups such as those churches we are discussing of the Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal community, who employ these practices of overt control and domination, There is almost invariably an aberrant ilk of quote-unquote stewardship espoused that places excessive demands and requirements upon the members for monetary contributions to the group and for quote-unquote accountability regarding their personal financial matters. Members are incessantly pressed to give more and more beyond their 10% tithe in special offerings to fund an endless litany of special in-house ministries and missions, projects, and programs. In addition, cell group leaders keep a very watchful eye on the personal expenditures of the members of their group in many cases interposing their own unqualified, non-professional, and unsolicited advice with regard to what should be members' private financial affairs. As mentioned before, it is a documented fact that in some shepherding groups, the leaders, despite not having any training or expertise in financial matters, are the members' de facto financial advisors. And members are essentially constrained from making important financial transactions without the advice and consent of their leaders, which advice is usually weighted toward frugality with respect to the members' expenditure of their money on their own needs and liberality with respect to the needs of the church or ministry. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the Word of God to the world, the Real Truth Radio Network at realtruthradio.com. Number 7. Dependence Indoctrination The primary purpose and goal of many, if not all, of the aforementioned techniques and mechanisms of manipulation is to produce in the adherence a psychological dependence— on the group, and especially the leader. Members are taught to put all their faith, hope, and trust in the group's leaders, which is idolatry, and actually grants opportunity and permission for invasion by all manner of evil spirits, not the least of which is the spirit of fear. As a result of these techniques and mechanisms, members are terrified by the prospect of punitive action that they have been taught would be emanating ultimately from God Himself if they are not completely submissive to every dictate and whim of their leaders. They are laden with overwhelming burdens of false guilt, isolated from other sources of truth and fellowship and their entire life is totally immersed in the internal involvements of that group. The outcome is ungodly, unscriptural, and even demonic, all-encompassing spiritual and psychological dependence on the group and the leader. What leaders of such groups purport to be exhorting their members to in this regard is the quite virtuous, laudable, and desirable qualities of allegiance, loyalty, and commitment, elemental to what they refer to as covenantal relationships. However, the truth is that, as discussed previously, these covenantal relationships are actually covenants with demons that are not based in true freedom and the attributes of the spirit, but in seduction, witchcraft, bondage, and captivation inspired by evil spirits. Moreover, the outcome certainly is not a working of the Holy Spirit, for the Bible clearly proclaims that, quote, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, end quote. 2 Corinthians 3.17, not bondage. Once ensnared in the web of bondage and dependency, the victim of these control mechanisms is mentally, emotionally, emotionally and spiritually dependent not on the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but on the human leaders and fellow members of His group for psychological satisfaction and survival in every aspect of life. This is spiritual treachery and apostasy of the highest order. Number 8. Esotericism With these cult-like groups, there is a deliberate and carefully crafted concealment or obfuscation of the group's true nature, agenda, and modus operandi from the general public, as well as prospective recruits and new proselytes. The complete truth is known only to the few who are part of an elite and exclusive inner circle of compatriots. This is the very definition of esotericism, which tellingly has been deemed by the highest courts of our land in cases where legal action has been taken against such religious cults and illegal pyramid schemers to constitute criminal fraud. Full disclosure is not made up front, but comes only incrementally as the initiate advances through the various levels of orientation and enlightenment that are supposedly required for full comprehension of the teachings and methodologies of the group. Obscuring and skewing of these particulars concerning the group to the general public are ostensibly justified by the assertion that comprehension of the import of the group's teachings and purposes requires the enlightenment that comes only to those who have been fully trained, in reality, indoctrinated and brainwashed, by the teachings and dogmas comprising their belief system. The real crux of the deceitfulness and dastardliness of this incremental disclosure lies in the fact that it is not until the passenger has boarded the ship and it has set sail and begun traversing the great abyss of irrational indoctrination that he is informed of the destination and full cost of the voyage, metaphorically speaking. It is perhaps revealing that this incremental disclosure technique is a watermark of classic modern cults, many of whom now, because of widespread discreditation and negative publicity, have resorted to a variety of actions aimed at improving their public image, including organizational name changes, the use of euphemistic theology, more sophisticated concealment of true intents and purposes, and plain old outright lying enjoying this podcast please take a minute to pray if the lord would have you help us with the substantial financial burden of this program we receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and have no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listeners. slm inc bears the entire burden in about 30 seconds you can donate at paypal.me forward slash Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash slminc to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness. Number nine, love bombing. I don't know who is credited with the original coining of the term love bombing, but it is a term often evoked in contemporary descriptions of the psychological techniques employed by classic cults to woo new recruits and to maintain the bonds of enslavement on existing members. The so-called love that is spoken of in these groups is an ushy gushy sickly-sweet, surreal, overdone, Showy, carnal, humanistic kind of sloppy agape, replete with a superabundance of hugging and cheek kissing. In a way similar to the classic cults, proselytes are lured into the group by means of an auspicious, blissful, ethereal, soulish, and sensory appealing love that is presented as the ultimate in freedom. In bona fide cults, this so-called love is so free, that is, without limitations, that it invariably translates eventually into unrestrained and promiscuous immorality, or free love, which some cults proclaim to be one of the many benefits and privileges of their purportedly transcendent brand of spiritual enlightenment. Sadly, there have been many Christian groups of the ilk of which we have been speaking that in the process of time, as they travel down the path of error and errancy, have become deceived by the same seducing evil spirits, eventually engaging in the same scurrilous debauchery as well. More and more of such cases are being publicly exposed to the light, as well as they should be, despite the long shadow of reproach it casts upon all Christendom. In addition to utilizing this love-bombing technique on prospective proselytes, in these quasi-cultish groups, the leaders and indoctrinators constantly bombard members and initiates with this soulish, sensual love as a kind of sedative to anesthetize them against the effects of the control mechanisms and techniques and to keep them oblivious to the fact that these devices of domination are being imposed upon them. This false love becomes an immensely effective psychological pharmaceutical by which the indoctrinated members are drugged and induced into accepting the harsh and overbearing domination and control techniques as being beneficent and beneficial expressions of this anomalistic love. Number 10. Personal Predomination This common control mechanism essentially involves the usurpation of the personal autonomy or volition of adherents of these groups. As expounded upon in numerous ways in this volume, the leadership of these groups employ the heretical doctrines and indoctrinations to accomplish this thoroughly demonic purpose. In sum, absolute submission of the followers is the ultimate goal an absolute authority of the leadership is the primary premise through which it is effected. The end result is that members gradually yield their innate right of self-governance to their spiritual masters. Again, as previously described in this book, congregants are relentlessly indoctrinated with teaching that they are simply not capable of making their own decisions regarding important and even mundane matters of life but rather that they should seek the approval, commonly referred to as witness, of their leaders concerning those matters. Number eleven, systematic subjugation. In these groups, a performance-based approval and promotion system of members predicated on proven loyalty to the leadership is employed as a means of systematic subjugation of congregants. The multi-level leadership hierarchy for these groups is comprised almost entirely of internally raised-up sub-leaders, hand-picked by the senior leadership based on their demonstrated loyalty to the ultimate leader and their acceptance of the adopted authoritarian doctrines and methodologies rather than on the basis of their leadership skills, spiritual acumen, and anointing and appointing by God. In other words, the subleaders are almost invariably laymen, rather than those with fivefold ministry giftings and anointing from God. In essence, they are humanly appointed rather than God appointed, and so rather than being the representatives, surrogates, and spokesmen of God, they are basically the cronies, underbosses, or deputies of the senior leadership. Loyalty to the leadership is a constant theme at all levels of the culture of these groups. Members are required to sign covenant agreements, pledging allegiance and financial support to the leadership and the ministry, and another level of covenant is required of sub-leaders as they progress through the various aspects of the process for being raised up as a leader within the group. Cunning leaders exploit the selfish ambition of members who desire ascendancy and authority over fellows by dangling in front of them the carrot of prospective leadership appointment and advancement. The members are told that if they are willing to be broken and learn submission by following the group's particular leadership training program, a carefully crafted process fraught with various forms of degradation designed to subjugate and affect absolute submission through debasement and indoctrination, then they will be considered as candidates for appointment to various subordinate leadership positions within the church or group, such as a cell or care or task group leader or deacon. Typically, These degradations consist of the performance of menial tasks such as cleaning toilets and the church facilities, landscaping work, setting up chairs, running errands, acting as the leader's personal valet or servant, and so forth. They are viewed as a perfectly legitimate means for quote-unquote humbling and quote-unquote breaking the leadership candidate and for testing and monitoring their loyalty submission, and yieldedness. The more guileful autocrats institute into the culture of the group various psychological, personal abasement techniques aimed at further subordinating, or humbling as they call it, followers. One of those techniques is a kind of confidence suppression method in which the manifest God-given talents, abilities, giftings, callings, and anointings of adherents are deliberately squelched squashed and not recognized. For example, someone who has a bona fide gift in music and desires to be used by God in their gifting would be told that being used in their gift or talent is not nearly as important as them learning to be obedient and submitted to leadership. So before they could be used in the group, they would have to be willing to set up chairs or clean toilets for a while to gauge and prove their obedience, read that, obeisance. Then, if they pass that test, they might be considered for being allowed to participate in the music program of the church at some entry-level position, for example. All such tactics and techniques, no matter how sanctified they may appear in a church setting, are nothing more than classic forms of religious indoctrination and brainwashing, so identified in every book or white paper in existence on the topic of psychological persuasion, coercion, and mind control techniques. Number 12, Excessive Church Discipline. As we have been discussing throughout this book, In churches and ministries where these fallacious authoritarian doctrines are espoused and the attendant practices employed, abuse and misuse of authority in personal dealings with members is pervasive within the group. Another element of that authoritarian excess is abuse, misuse, and inordinate incidents of church discipline. Members who do not toe the line and indiscriminately submit to every dictum and dictate of the leadership downline are called on the carpet and summoned to appear before some leader in the chain of leaders to give account and be dressed down for their rebellious attitudes and actions. This is all done under the supposedly sanctifying and justifying guise of church discipline. Of course, church discipline is a scriptural matter, but scripture indicates that it is only to be resorted to as a last resort measure in the case of the most egregious cases of overt and continued true spiritual offense by leaders or laymen, not as a means of squelching critical thinking, dissent, and criticism, or as a mechanism of mind control and manipulation for the purposes of subjugation and suppression. Word of Caution and Warning Having delineated these techniques of unauthorized control and coercion and mechanisms of manipulation, a word of caution and warning is in order in regard to their application. First, as a caution... Please understand that the existence and employment of a few of these techniques and mechanisms within a group does not necessarily mean that the group employing them is a bona fide cult or even a discipleship shepherding group. It is not uncommon for people to be totally unaware that certain aspects or subtle nuances of the teaching they espouse and practices they employ are actually erroneous and improper. In some cases, leaders and adherents of aberrant doctrines truly are sincerely deceived and are willing to receive reproof, repent, and make appropriate changes once they are made aware of their error. Second, Strong warning is given against misuse of what is written here as ammunition for a mean-spirited, malicious attack against individuals or groups who may be adherents of these authoritarian doctrines for the purposes of discrediting, disparaging, defaming, or harming them in some way. People who engage in this kind of murdering your brother without bathing the situation in prayer, willingness to forgive, and agape love, and without having restoration through repentance as the objective of reproof, are themselves wrong, regardless of how right they may be about having detected or discerned error in those they have examined. How unequivocally wrong any of us are capable of being in attitude and corresponding actions, though irrefutably right in assessment. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God, all things are possible, and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called to according to His purpose.